Hello, I'm here today with Elder Gary Howard. Elder, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. We're going to get right into the questions. Will that be okay? That's fine. I'm ready. Okay, before we begin, just please tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you live, and so on. I pastor Tulsa Lighthouse Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We founded this church in uh, 1981, and we're just a uh, little less than a year away from our 40th anniversary here. So this is where I've been uh, hanging out for the last 40 years. And uh, besides the church I pastor here, with God's grace, we've been able to plant several other churches throughout the area that uh, are still interconnected with us. And they're all doing a great job, which we're very thankful for. Can you tell us your testimony? Uh, well, I was uh, I was born into a, a Pentecostal family, and uh, in fact, my Pentecostal heritage goes back several generations. My mother's grandmother was in the church, and her parents, and my mom, and then I'm fourth generation. My children are fifth generation. My grandchildren are sixth generation. So uh, this apostolic truth and message is the only thing that I've ever known. So uh, I was born and raised in the church, received the Holy Ghost when I was six years old. I was baptized by Elder C.P. Williams, who was a very uh, well-known <clears throat> preacher back in the day, pioneer, uh, man of God. And uh, so I grew up in the First Apostolic Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, that's uh, where I was, where I began my ministry uh, as a young man. Can you tell us about when you first felt the call of God upon your life? Well, that took me back a long ways. The first, the first uh, memory I have of a of a real. Uh, clear call from God to ministry. I was only 10 or 11 years old and uh, we were attending a Christian, a Christian school and uh, I had a, a we had a devotional they called it. Nowadays you call it probably chapel service and when that ended we were all allowed to go outside and have a play period, just kind of a free period on the day that we one day a week that we had that special service and I was so burdened and prayerful that I never did go outside and play, which that uh, that had to be God, because that was what I loved most. <laughs> anyway, uh, while in, in agonizing prayer, just a child, I had a vivid vision. And it was, and it was like a, kind of a rounded mound, kind of, if you could picture kind of what it looks like, some of these where they show the globe of the world and maybe somebody standing on it or something along that line. Just, uh, and, and there was people all around me as far as I could see. And I remember very clearly that they were uh, all different nationalities and races of people. And all of them was reaching their hands out to me with looks of desperation on their face. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway... That's uh, never I've never lost that vision, and uh, although I I after realizing what the ministry I don't know just the fear of the ministry I kind of 
run from God for several years as far as I didn't get out of church, but I didn't really surrender to to the call that I felt until I was 17 years of age. But And uh, anyway, that's, that's how I felt, uh, first felt my call to ministry. That's an incredible story, Elder. Uh, when did you preach your first message, and uh, where did you preach it, and what did you preach? Well, um, you know, the church I grew up in, they focused a lot on children and young people. So, you know, they'd have like uh, sometimes a special midweek service, and they might ask two or three uh, of the boys in the youth group or even younger, uh, probably, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, to give little sermonettes. So I had, I, I did stuff like that. And, and uh, in youth services, you know, with all a lot of times being a science subject, we might talk on. But really, once I acknowledged my call and my pastor acknowledged it, he asked me to preach uh, on a midweek service night, and um, I really sought God and tried to be prepared. Uh, I remember my my scripture text was in First Kings eighteen. And the verse of scripture I focused on was the uh, 41st verse where uh, Elijah announced to Ahab, you know, that he needed to, he needed to uh, eat and drink and get ready to, uh, you know, travel because he heard the sound of abundance of rain. And uh, I preached on, I hear the sound of abundance, or I, I was going to preach on, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I started reading my text, and while I was reading the text, it was several verses long. The power of God fell and began to move, and and the whole church, a whole church came to the front to to pray. The whole church. I, I never I never got to say a hundred words, probably, hmm. maybe two hundred words, and and that was, uh, you know, that was my first attempt at preaching in the in the local church and uh that night a lot of things happened gifts the spirit began to operate and uh, it was a real it really we had got a breakthrough in the home church that night although i never did really get to preach my message out <laughs> at least the spirit of it was right i guess um do you mind i i hate to ask you this go off script for just one question because I've, I've heard you talk about how powerful that church was that you grew up in. Do you mind, with your permission, can you talk about that for a little bit? Well, uh, in the church I grew up in, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a strong doctrinal church, very conservative. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a thriving church, one of the larger churches in the apostolic movement for that day and time. Uh, and it's you know it, it was up around 300 or so which back in the 50s early 60s that's considered quite a large church um, and uh, but there was always a, a lot of consecration and death in our church I don't I don't remember shout downs as much as I remember many, many times when there'd be such a spirit of prayer come over the church and travailing and, and deep consecration and, uh, and the 
uh, operation of the gifts of the Spirit uh, was not an uncommon occurrence. Um, the late Nathaniel Urson talked to me one time, knew I was from the church, knew the Williams as well, and he told me, he said, I'm not saying this to be boasting, but I have preached in almost every apostolic church uh, in North America, Canada, and most parts of the world, you know, with all of his travels in the position he held with UPC and all that. He said, I've got to tell you, of all the churches I've ever preached in, the first apostolic church in its time was the most amazing and most balanced church that I've ever been in. He said they had it all. And he mentioned the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, but that it was done in a biblical fashion. So anyway, I, I think that's a pretty uh, pretty high recommendation. But what I remember different things happening. One outstanding thing that happened one time, you know, back in that time, uh, communication overseas was uh, almost impossible. You might could get a telegram through or something like that. And if a letter took weeks to be delivered, it could even be a few months. And so missionaries that were in undeveloped parts of the world, they were really isolated. And there was a um, uh, a lady missionary that was out of the Tulsa church that was in Liberia, Africa. And uh, one night during the service, Sister Mary Williams, who was the, the wife of Elder C.P. Williams, a uh, very, very spiritual, very godly woman, uh, she got under a heavy burden. And she asked, she uh, told the church, said, we need to pray for Geneva Bailey right now, said, uh, we've got to touch God for her. And she's uh, uh, in danger of dying. And the church immediately went into travail. And it lasted, it lasted for a good while. And uh, then uh, at a certain point, everybody in the church just started rejoicing at the same time. And um, anyway, it, it was like, we knew that, that it had been answered. Well, it took a long time for us to find out what happened, but a letter came in the mail. And on that same day at the time that uh, we felt that burden was praying for her, uh, she had some chickens that she, uh, had, you know, they had to raise a lot of their own food. They way back in an out-of-the-way place there. And, uh, and something had been stealing her chickens, so she had... Uh, uh, had a gun and she was sitting uh, on a hen house or something and waiting to see who was killing the chickens and and a big panther uh, I mean leopard a big le leopard uh, uh, came in and she shot it and only wounded it and it attacked her and uh, she didn't have time to put another shell in the shotgun and she began beating that leopard with her gun and with I guess you'd say a holy anointing. She beat that leopard to death and killed it. Uh, and um, that was quite a remarkable thing. Uh, but, you know, things like that uh, just wasn't real uncommon in that church. Uh, we had a, there was a man that was a, a Cherokee Native American and a very humble man. 
and uh, he was not, he didn't claim a call to preach or anything like that, but God used to use him in a significant manner. He lived alone and spent a lot of time in prayer and seeking God and was the, did, uh, was a custodian and maintenance man for the church. And they paid him a little bit of money and that's what he lived on. But ever so often, God would give him a visitation and talk to him. And he would get up and make, uh, he would stand up and he, he wouldn't raise his hand. He'd just have his head bowed. He's a real uh, short, small built man, very unassuming, very humble. And he'd just stand there. Uh, he would, he would just stand there, you know, uh, uh, just waiting until he was recognized. And pastor would ask him if he had something that he needed to say. And he would begin to tell us what God told him. It wasn't like, like the spirit of prophecy, it was he was under a heavy burden, but it was the things God showed him. And he, and I remember he he uh, he announced that he said, "Keep your eyes on the sky for a sign from God." He said, "There's going to be a major event happen. You keep watching the heavens," and said, "It's going to shake the leaders of the world, and they're going to they're not going to know how to respond to this." And he gave the date the exact day when it was going to happen. And, of course, that day, when that day arrived, we were all, you know, what's, what's going to happen today? That's when the Russians shot the first satellite into space, this Sputnik. And it did bring a lot of consternation to all the free world because that's when the Cold War and the arms race and all that was going on, and this gave them a definite... Uh, you know, leg up on everybody. Just things like that were pretty common. That the pres, the pope that was uh, in power right then was going to die, and and who would be named as his successor, and what his name would be, you know, and that, uh, and then he would be a man that would uh, be ecumenical pope, and would bring many of the Catholic people back into his fold. And then he told of another guy that would just live a short time. And he laid out three in a row and what they would be called, you know, as far as their uh, name they give them after they've been appointed to be Pope or want to call themselves and how long they'd be in power. I'm telling you, it happened just like, just like a timeline. But besides, besides those real dramatic things, I remember uh, there, you know, uh, a lot of times tongues interpretation or prophetic utterance or word of knowledge or something like that would operate. The gifts of healing were evident. Miracles were evident. I, I guess every every one of the nine gifts of spirit operated in that in that uh, congregation, and uh, it wasn't like that. That's what we went to church for. We had church, and and that's kind of what uh, what God did when it was His will and time and so forth. But uh, anyway, I've seen a lot of people healed. Uh, I've seen crippled people walk. I've seen uh, blind people get healed, deaf people get healed, and people with all kinds of diseases and and uh, maladies and broken bones and you name it. Uh, just people healed of diabetes and other conditions. A lot of conditions people didn't even know what they had because they never went to a doctor, but those are some of the things that you could see or 
that we knew. So that was kind of a, a for a number of years, at a certain point, change of pastors and all that, things begin to weren't quite as uh, well lost a lot of ground. Anyway, uh, but I, I, I did experience a lot of things as a child and a, and a very young person in that home church. Yes, sir. We'll, we'll get back to the script now, if that's okay with you. Um, but that those are incredible stories, incredible. Uh, what are some of your favorite ministry memories? For example, revivals you've been in, miracles you've seen, and such like. Well, I'm uh, I'm assuming you're wanting me to talk about revivals, maybe that I've been involved in. Uh, yes, sir. That'll be fun. Uh, in 1980, in the latter part of January, uh, I preached my first and only revival in my home church. It either went nine or ten weeks. Uh, it was a revival of renewal, and and um, there was like uh, seventy five received the Holy Ghost were baptized in Jesus' name, and probably an equal or greater number of backsliders in that came back into the church during that revival, and uh, a lot of different things happened. Uh, we had some unusual moves of the Spirit. Uh, one night, um, I felt to preach about giving, and uh, there was a young man in the church right in the middle of my message. He came up to the front, and he pulled his wallet out of his pocket, and he, and he opened it up, and he pulled all the money he had out of that wallet and just laid it on the altar. Just He did it spontaneous. With, nobody knew what he was going to do. But uh, that spirit swept over the audience, over the congregation, and people began to just come and empty their purses and their, their pockets, their wallets, uh, and then it just kept building. As opening their checkbooks and writing out the balance of what they had in the, they had in their checking account. And it was on a Friday night, and a lot of people had gotten paid but hadn't cashed their checks yet. And a lot of them threw their paychecks on the on the altar. But you know what happened? People, even even center people that was there, got caught up in the spirit of that, and and several of them came to the front and and put their offering down. And nobody ever asked for an offering. There's no pants put out or anything. Just a pile of cash and checks and things there on the altar. And uh, there were several of them that gave their money and turned around and walked back to their seat. And the Holy Ghost fell on them, and they, they got the Holy Ghost right there on the spot. And, uh, and then there was people that had uh, different things wrong with them. I remember, I remember the pastor, one of his daughters, uh, had real, real bad uh, back and couldn't hardly, uh, you know, get around because of her back. And God healed her instantly. And she could bend back and forth and move any way she wanted to. Just, just many, many things happened that night. And um, oh, I think there was twenty some thousand dollars in cash uh, that was given that night. And that's uh, that. Like I said, that was in nineteen eighty. So it's been a, it's been a lot of a lot of money in today's today's money. Probably be like about a seventy five thousand dollar offering. 60,000, anyway. Anyway, I just saw a lot of things happen. One memorable 
Sunday service, uh, afternoon service. We'd been working with several people, a lot of people coming that were, uh, I was in prayer before service, and I was concerned because there were several people bound by nicotine that couldn't get delivered from it, adult people, women and men. And they were sincere, but they just hadn't got a break. Um, and I was praying and, and seeking God and focusing on that, and I really felt led you know, to minister to those people that day, leaving out a lot of details. But anyway, there were seven adults came to the front when I made an appeal for those that were bound by nicotine that wanted to be delivered. And it was about, it was men and women. I don't remember the exact mix, but anyway, um, but uh, they came and they stood across the front, uh, not behind each other, but spread out across the front. And uh, I began, I went uh, and prayed for each one. And when I laid my hands on them, uh, that God would deliver them from that nicotine. And and, and you knew he did it. Because in one case, you, you read in the Bible of spirits going out of people and crying out with a loud voice. That, that happened there that day. A spirit went out of a person and made a real loud screaming noise as it, and you could hear it. You could hear it exit the building. You couldn't see anything, but you could follow the sound of it. And all seven of those people received the Holy Ghost and were delivered from, from uh, nicotine that day. That was a pretty, uh, remarkable thing that happened. Um, you know, I've given God the glory. I'm not trying to make myself sound like some great man of God or anything, but I'm just telling you things that I know God did, and uh, and and He still He still works He still works that way today if we let Him. When did you first meet Elder James Davis, and what were your impressions of him then? Hey, uh, I I saw him at a distance when we were at Bible College. He was. Uh, Several, you know, several years older than I am, married, and and I was just a a, a kid, barely out of high school, you know. Uh, so never really got to know him then, other than just by sight. But uh, oh my goodness, how many years ago has it been that uh, he and I really connected? It's been a long time. I would say around just around the time that. Uh, uh, your pastor brother Robert Davis um, left on his own somewhere around in that time frame was when he and I got acquainted and and uh, and developed our you know our friendship and started having fellowship with each other and I'm pretty certain that took place at uh, that annual meeting that he had for several years kind of just a preaching uh, conference that uh, he had, and uh, that's when I first met him. And I don't, I don't know what, how far back that would be. Is that something you might know? Uh, n- no, sir. Uh, probably looking at somewhere around ninety five, ninety six. Does that sound about right? Or was it? No, it was before that. Eighty nine, maybe. What are some of the memories you have of him? Just a mix of funny and serious would be fine. Well, you know. When I first met him there, um, I, I thought him to be a very humble man, which he was, and uh, and he was uh, very uh, friendly 
um, and hospitable. And and uh, I found him to be very serious until I got to know him a little bit better and found out he could be as funny as he was serious, just depending on where you were and what the situation was. But uh, he, he was, uh, he and I became pretty close pretty quickly. Uh, we thought so much alike on so many different things, such as standards and move of God and and revival. And uh, uh, we both hated perversion and pretty vocal about it. And so we found we found a lot of uh, of uh, things that kind of drew us together just because of uh, our you know beliefs and stands on some things and all of that um and uh, uh i was really impressed by uh how god used him and uh and yet he, he maintained a, a very uh, humble attitude to all of that there was nothing cocky or show off about the man at all and when it came to when it came to church and things of god he was he was all business then Outside of church, you could uh, have a few laughs, and he he could be entertaining sometimes, which I won't go into all of that. <laughs> but um, I think you might have a clue what I'm talking about. Absolutely. That's uh, where I met him. Was there at that meeting, and then uh, a number of times he had me come to preach to the local church. So that's when we got an opportunity to really get close to one another. Okay, do you have any uh, memories of the Balk Spring Church where he pastored, and can you talk about them? I do have. I have quite a few memories. Uh, the church definitely uh, was a reflection of their pastor as far as the personality of the church. They could be very serious, but there was some of them had a wide streak of honoriness in them, which uh, I, I got to see up close, firsthanded. <laughs> Uh, I remember the first time that I stayed there in the in the evangelist quarters, my wife and I. No, maybe she wasn't with me that time. She would she would have had a heart attack if she'd have been with me. But anyway, uh, I remember I opened up the microwave to heat something up, and they had a string tied to a rubber snake that came slithering out the microwave, got <laughs> into my hands, and um, so that's interesting. <laughs> And, uh, and then uh, I was preaching one time, and I got to uh, talking about effeminate men and, and uh, how much, you know, uh, I start, somehow got off on, on the color pink, you know, pink shirts and pink this and pink that and on and on and on. What I didn't realize is sitting out in the parking lot, uh, one of the sound men, uh, was pretty uh, gifted guy, and he had done a tremendous conversion uh, on a and on a little one of the smaller trucks, and he had painted that thing bright pink, and he called it the Pink Panther. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wondered why everybody kept looking at him while I was preaching and laughing. <laughs> that was the reason. <laughs> so the next service, I came to church. And when it's time for me to preach, there's a microphone laying there that's got a a uh, hot pink cover on it, uh, <laughs> you know, screen on the microphone. And they had taken, uh, you know, just a regular gray-colored microphone uh, screen cover, 
and they had painted it hot pink. <laughs> and the only, it was really funny, but the main problem with it is it was as rough as a Brillo pad. And when I got through preaching that night, I'd rub about half the hide off my lips and around that part of my face because <laughs> I'd get the microphone too close to my face. Then they had a pink uh, plastic uh, glass sitting there, you know, with my water in it. Well, uh, after I preached for a little bit, I wanted a sip of water, and I reached down and got that and took a sip, and I nearly choked to death. <laughs> it caught me so by surprise. It didn't have water in it. It had Sprite in it. <laughs> so that's some of the humor that uh, that uh, those some of those men in that church were capable of producing. But on the serious side, it, it was a church that knew how to pray and had tremendous worship. Your worship services were incredible, and uh, and they really loved preaching. It, it, you couldn't preach it too hard for them. The harder you preach, the more they rallied. They'd be on their feet and. Some of them coming up toward uh, toward the front and just really, uh, you know, getting into the word. And then when it was time for the altar service, had tremendous altar services. So it, it was a strong church, conservative church, and a spiritual church, and a, and a revival church. I, I have nothing but good memories about it. Um, Elder Davis was obviously a man of faith, as are you, Elder. Uh, can you talk about the importance of faith in the life of an apostolic Christian in this generation? Well, um, there's two two aspects of faith. There's there's faith uh, that we exercise to obtain the promises of God, and faith to live by and to serve God, and so forth and so on. Uh, we need healing, of course. Uh, we we uh, in faith ask God to heal us or deliverance, encouragement. Much of what's involved in a Christian's life is, it's all about faith. Everything about it is about faith. Uh, but another aspect of faith is, is the truth, the doctrine that we all stand for and, and believe in, and uh, which gives us stability. Hebrews 11 uh, and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he has rewarded them to diligently seek him. So we can't please God. We can't live a life pleasing to him unless we have faith. And Jesus himself said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And, and so this is very important to God, and it better be important to all of us. We, we, can't, we can't live for God just on the strength of fellowship and our friends and coming to church and being involved and all that we've got to have our own personal walk with God and we've got to uh, be people of faith which uh, by hearing the word of God faith is built faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of the Lord but a very important thing that some of you are leaving out today it talks about building up your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost I'm afraid there's just not enough people that ever break through into that realm of prayer to where they uh, pray in the Spirit and God really builds their faith up. So, you know, we're living in uh, we're living in perilous times. Uh, as it was prophesied in Scripture, perilous times shall come. Well, they're here. And uh, 
during these perilous times, we need God more than ever. Right now, we're dealing with this COVID-19, and that's a, a pandemic, and that's caused a lot of issues for all of us. And uh, I, I think most people, to a certain extent, have a certain amount of fear or dread about this disease. Uh, I personally know several people that's died from it, several others that are in the hospital on ventilators and extremely, extremely ill. We're just praying they'll make it. Uh, fortunately, thankfully, none of them has been from my church, but some ones I know are from other Pentecostal apostolic churches uh, throughout the area that have even passed. And so uh, we're all concerned about this. We only, Lord Terry's is coming, it's only going to get worse. And so we better learn how to live, walk by faith, and and lean on God, or we're not going to make it through this time. But you know what? Uh, His grace is sufficient, and and uh, we can lay hold on that and and uh, live by the uh, promises of God in our faith and trust and confidence in Him. Yes, sir, absolutely. Uh, if Elder Davis was still alive, what do you think he would say to this generation? First thing he would do is preach them a red-hot message calling them to consecration and renewal. Mm-hmm. And then I believe I believe he would talk to them and preach to them about faith and standing for truth and doing what's right. And, you know, getting, getting our hearts right and, and getting uh, on fire for God and involved in, in the work of God. That That would be my feeling of the things that would probably be near the top of his list yes sir um if you don't mind we're almost done with this but can i add one question i was going to ask uh and it ties into the the 13th question i sent you about if you had a few minutes uh to spend with the generation coming up um but do you mind talking about what are some of your greatest concerns for the up-and-coming generation well materialism is one thing uh, seems to be <clears throat> almost too much of a focus on uh, success, financial success and such as that. And they kind of, uh, I think, overrides, uh, you know, the desire for the things of God, the work of God, the growth of the kingdom of God and all of that. Uh, too many of their focus is more secular than it is really spiritual and uh, then other things I'm concerned about is just the, you know, along with uh, financial success comes many temptations. And uh, it seems like the better people do financially, the more it begins to try to change their focus and pull them away from God. I'm not saying you can't be financially successful and be a powerhouse for God. I'm just saying that that you have to really consecrate and focus on the things of God or materialism will, will absolutely destroy your consecration. And uh, you read in the Bible, there's not much uh, positive said about people with riches in the ministry of Jesus or in the, in the ministry of the apostles. And so, uh, you know, it's a great snare. And everybody wants to do well. And everybody enjoys, uh, I guess you'd say, the privilege that that uh, financial success brings to you. But if more people would be concerned about, uh, you know, 
their prayer for financial success would be so they could do more for the kingdom of God. With uh, we could uh, override some of that, uh, you know, being pulled to the world. People's if people's got the heart is right, God knows what they can handle, and if there'll be a if there'll be a channel of blessing instead of a, you know just a reservoir for myself, uh, I think I think uh, we can. In, Enjoy the blessings of God and be a great work for the kingdom of God and see his kingdom uh, fulfilled here on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I guess just just need to be more kingdom-minded instead of building your own little personal kingdom. Yes, sir. Um, if you had a few minutes to spend with an entire generation of young preachers, what would you tell them? Well, actually... Uh, because the nature of some of the preaching and teaching that I do anymore, I get an opportunity to do to do that on a on a pretty um, frequent basis, and uh, I'm still I'm going to just segue right on into the kingdom of God. Uh, with we're talking about young ministers here, and uh, there's two things that I've a trend I've noticed I've noticed over the past few years. And that is that too many of the young preachers are taking a secular approach to success in ministry uh, and, and are depending upon certain business principles that they might have learned in, in college or somewhere, picked up from others or whatever. But uh, there's too much focus on building a network of men that are, are uh, positioned, you know, have connections, that can help promote your ministry, and and so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, young men that want to get close to preachers that they think can help promote them, and it's all about themselves. It's not about the kingdom, and uh, you know the Bible says the promotion comes either from the north, the south, east, or west, but it comes from above, and uh, you know men can. Uh, uh, promote you and appoint you but what they can't do is they can't anoint you and uh and use you you know what i'm saying yes sir absolutely they cannot anoint you and uh open open the doors that god wants open for you and so i i think uh, uh you know they need to get more uh concerned about seeking god and studying and fasting and praying and working for God and let God let God build their ministry, let God open doors for them, and uh, learn learn how to find and follow the will of God. The second thing that I'm concerned about is that this digital age that we're living in, uh, there's things we can do now that were unthought of just a generation ago. And uh, I'm not preaching against technology per se. I'm not. I'm not preaching against not having fellowship. But it has become so easy to communicate via texting and emails and and other forms of chatting with one another. Uh, that uh, and then not not only that level of fellowship, but it just seems like. Some young preachers, all they can think about is uh, recreation, getting together, going here, going there. 
meeting up with preachers. They spend so much time fellowshipping with one another via technology, via per- in person, that um, it be- it becomes somewhat of a, a hindrance to their growth in the ministry. They uh, it's it's too easy in that kind of an environment to start uh, talking about people and situations and circumstances that really you have no business talking about. And uh, uh, even leaving the talking part out of it, it's just time. They spend so much time communicating with one another and visiting with one another that that God is not getting his fair share of their time. And uh, that's, that's two things right there that really... I feel like is hindering uh, a lot of young apostolic preachers from having the kind of anointed ministry that God would like to give them, but uh, they just aren't paying the price for it. Yes, sir. Uh, going back to what you said about trying to seek to get connected, I remember a statement I read one time by George Bush. Uh, he said, there's a limit to the power of connections. While it can promote you, it cannot guarantee success. And I thought that was good. What I... He, he articulated what I was trying to say. Yes, sir. Um, if you don't mind, uh, I want to be very respectful of your time. Do you mind just closing this interview with a word of prayer for uh, my generation? Lord, we thank you today for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for the men that you've allowed me to know in years gone by that have taught me so much. Thank you for every visitation of your spirit that I've been privileged to be a part of. God, I pray for this younger generation that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would learn you as my generation had the opportunity. God, I pray, Lord, for you to take sincere young men that are in the ministry and for their wives and their families, the churches that they pastor and preach to and evangelize. God, I pray, Lord, that you would put a deep, deep hunger in their heart to be close to you and to be used of your spirit, not just, just to be good preachers, but to be men of God that know how to function and operate and bring deliverance, bring healing, bring revival to their generation. God, I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Keep your hand on Brother Jordan Mills, God. Let your will be done in his life. Lead and guide him, God, in the paths of righteousness. Give him a deep, deep hunger that cannot be satisfied with anything less than a great move of your spirit and a touch of your spirit upon his life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.